I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy. And you're listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends chat about books and reading with another book lover. We find book lovers everywhere. And talking about books is one of our favorite things to do besides plan our reading for our holiday break and into the new year. And we may be a little biased in thinking that reading people are the coolest people. So we all know social media can be an awful place, but it can also be a great way to discover wonderful things happening around the globe that give me hope. And our guests this week are an example of that. When I saw a Facebook post about a pair of teachers in Virginia that had been inspired by a book to launch a bookmobile service in their town, I wanted to know more. The novel, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson, which is about women who served as pack librarians in the mountains of eastern Kentucky and brought reading materials to remote areas during the Depression, is the one that Lisa Signorelli and Kristen Thrower looked to to guide them in their mission. They were concerned that their students in Chesterfield Public Schools on the outskirts of Richmond, who didn't have easy access to Wi-Fi while school was virtual last year, were being forgotten. Lisa and Kristen decided to start delivering books to the students. The endeavor that began out of the back of their cars has now progressed to a full bookmobile that gives away free books to students and their families. In this episode, Lisa and Kristen talk about how they met through a mentor teacher friend named Miss Clark, how their collaboration resulted in the bookmobile, and what it adds to their teaching experience. But first, Carrie, last week I talked about my reading slump that I was in, and I think my reading slump is over because I finished three books this Yay, week. Yay, very good. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling a little better now. So all that kind of wanna, almost, you know, <laughs> being ready to be done with my reading slump, I think, I think is over. There you go, the end. Cool, cool. So I don't know if you've seen it, you know, we've talked about Jason Reynolds' books, and there was a clip going around uh, of Jason Reynolds on with Stephen Colbert. It's a great clip if you're interested, number one, if you're interested in Jason Reynolds and his books. But also, I, I enjoyed it because he talks about how he meets students and how much we can learn from young people. And also, he talks about having anxiety and dealing with that as an adult, but also, you know, thinking in terms of, of young people. So I, I'm always interested. I think it's really cool, you know, to hear what authors have to say about things. So if you are interested, if you're, you're talking about social media, but uh, Jason Reynolds on the, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, uh, that was from a couple days ago. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. He has some big Well, he talked right about now. that. It's an ambassadorship. Um he will be serving his third term as the national ambassador for young people's literature. And he does talk about that with Stephen Colbert. So, you know, it's, it's not a very long clip, but he covers a lot of ground, really, um, and talks about his philosophy about why he writes what he does. You know, and, and there's no right or wrong philosophy. Different authors have different perspectives about why they write for the audiences they write for. But I think Jason Reynolds is uh, pretty cool. and. Uh, if you haven't seen it, look Very for good. it. And I should say, you know, I'm still doing my my subbing job this week. I, I will be halfway through it uh, on Tuesday. I think that will be the official halfway mark. I'll be glad to meet that halfway mark and even more glad to, to get done with it. Uh, but this past week wasn't too bad. 
I didn't fall asleep, you know, at like 630 every single night. So I was able to do some reading. So your subbing job, I saw you about a half an hour ago and you were so excited for it to be done. And I said, does this mean you're never going to do it again? Because I said in a year, someone will ask you and you will do it again. And you said that you were going to set a reminder on your phone yes. every six months to say, do not take long-term study yes. jobs. That is what it's going to say. Now, whether I ignore that or not, you know, the, the thing is, middle schoolers are just a, a, a special ball of unpleasant. And anybody who has taught middle schoolers, anybody who has had a middle schooler in their life, in their house knows this to be true. And so here's the thing. Most of them have been fine, but all it takes is one or two ornery middle schoolers to to blow your day. Most of the kids have been fine. You know, the, the, really the problem is it's because of COVID and not having enough subs. So, you know, if, if a teacher is out, then every other teacher and then administrate, everybody has to sort of pitch in. And if you're the sub and you're having to pick up extra slack, it, it just, it feels overwhelming. And, and I don't know, honestly, you know, kudos to all the teachers this year. I don't know how they're surviving. I really don't. I feel like sometimes we just dump on our teachers, you know, and this is a really good episode to remind people that teachers are great people. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, like with any profession, there are going to be some that are they're going to be duds. so great. Yeah, they're going to be duds. But on the most part, People are teachers because they love kids and they want to help right. kids. And uh, I think our guests this week really are the epitome of that. So, yeah. So be nice to your teachers and cut them some slack. This year has been a hard, hard, this year has been harder than last year, I think, for most teachers. And I, I think the teachers that I know would, would agree with that statement. So I think it's time that we talk to Lisa and Kristen. Sounds good. So Lisa and Kristen, thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yes, this was very exciting. <laughs> well, I saw on social media, someone shared the news article from your town about your bookmobile. And bookmobiles are something that I just love looking at pictures of. I loved going to a bookmobile when I was a kid. And so I was intrigued about the story behind your bookmobile, which we will get to in a few minutes. But just tell us a little bit about yourselves, what you do for a living besides bookmobile activities. I am a high school librarian, I'm an adjunct professor. I teach history. And I love to travel and love to read. And I have the best job in the whole entire world. Well, that's always nice to talk to somebody who love, <laughs> love, loves their job. That's pretty awesome. What about you, Lisa? So originally, I'm a native New Yorker, and we've moved to Virginia. And I picked up my teaching career. So I taught in New York for about 10 years, then did the whole marriage and motherhood. So when we moved back to Virginia... I became a high school reading specialist and I did that for a few years. Then I went to middle school, which I absolutely loved. And then I was given the opportunity to become a reading specialist at a middle school that feeds into Kristen's high school. So I've been doing that now about seven years. Is that how you all met each other? No, no that's even a funnier story. Kristen actually was doing her student teaching at another school of mine and 
I was working with her cooperating teacher. And mm -hmm. so Kristen and I became friends that way. And that was like 2010, I want to say. Yeah, around there. And so that's how um, we got to know each other. So I'm a certified teacher. I don't teach full time, but I am still friends with the woman who was my mentor teacher when I was student teaching. And now I tutor her, her daughter. So those relationships can last a long time. They can. And Miss Clark actually passed away. And we believe that she had a hand in bringing uh, Lisa and I back together because we really hadn't seen each other oh, since gosh. I did student teaching. I mean, oh, maybe wow. once here or there. And then it was kind of a gift that we think uh, Miss Clark gave us to bring us back together because I'm pretty sure she assumed we were the only two insane people who would do this. <laughs> yes, without a doubt. Well, Kristen, you mentioned that you love to read. I would assume with a librarian and a reading specialist that both of you were big readers, are big readers now. Were you both big readers when you were children and teenagers? Tell us a little bit about your early reading lives. I was born reading. I love to read. So much so that my siblings said I would fake a sinus attack um, <laughs> so I could lay on the couch and read and not do any chores. I felt lost without reading. So my dad was a big reader, so I read all Louis L'Amour and <laughs> all of those uh, wonderful books that he would bring home. So a huge reader. It was really funny when I was thinking about this question. I had a memory of when I was sick in first grade and when I came back to school, everybody had their basil reader but me because I was absent, I didn't get one. And so I felt really lost in first grade, but I wasn't like a very good student and, and so it all fell into place. But seventh grade, I was chosen for an after-school reading club because I was a strong reader. And my teacher introduced us to Kill a Mockingbird, and we read mm. Romeo and Juliet and Catcher in the Rye in seventh grade, oh which my is gosh. unheard of now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but back in the 70s, my teachers were really pretty edgy, and they were way above their time, I'm thinking. <laughs> so because of that, I think that's how my love of reading and I also want to talk about my dad now that Kristen said that. My dad's an avid reader, but he reads history and he's a Marine. And mm. so everything is usually about World War II. So my love of historical fiction has picked up because of my dad. Well, the two of you have launched a bookmobile program to get books into the hands of your students. So first, tell us a little bit about where you all work and live, Chesterfield County, Virginia, and What's that area like? What's your student population like? For me, being the outsider coming in, and now it's 19 years that I've lived here, originally it was much more rural than it is now. So it's very diverse now. We have small communities, uh, cities, and then we still have, on the outskirts, we still have really big open spaces and rural areas. And both of our schools, because we're in the same feeder pattern, our population is also very diverse. Our students are diverse in their race and their culture, their socioeconomic status. And so there really still is that imaginary line of the like north side and the south side. And Kristen and I work on the south side. And Chesterfield County is, it's to the south of Richmond. Like how far away yeah. from Richmond are you? Well, where our schools are, we're like three to four blocks from the city line. So with you having to 
diverse population of students, that means there's a diverse set of needs. Yes. I would have to say a very high needs in our community. When they shut down the schools because of COVID in August, we had some students who um, didn't have access to Wi-Fi. So we had the whole gamut of social and economics. So how did the idea for a bookmobile come about? Where did that idea come from? So before the pandemic, I had read Book Woman of Troublesome Creek. But prior to that, I had dubbed myself the book lady of the creek because I work at Falling Creek Middle School. And I started to give out books and I started a book raffle in March and then the school shut down. So the kids were now going to school virtually, no books, no access if they didn't have any Wi-Fi. So if the students couldn't make it to our virtual classes, they had no support. Summer's over, school is supposed to start. Kristen and I met, and it was September 11th, and I was telling her, I'm like, you know, we were talking about the book. So we both read Book Woman. We were both very excited about the book. And then I told her about my crazy idea. I said, you know, I'm driving to kids' houses now to deliver books because they've asked for this book or that book. And I said, wouldn't it be great to do something bigger? And there's Kristen going, well, why can't we do this? And so because she said that to me, I literally stared at her and I'm like, I I don't know. I never (laughs) thought about it because I was just driving, doing my little tiny piece. And because Kristen said those words to me, that opened up a whole entire world of the possibilities of what we can do. So we met September 11th. We got together again that following week. And Kristen is an amazing planner. And so we had a whole entire plan by the end of our meeting. And our first bookmobile went out like September 23rd. Oh my gosh. That's what I'm saying. She's very good at that. (laughs) So truly, again, Angelique, Miss Clark, she had to have gotten us into that space because there's no way the bookmobile ever would have happened by myself because I still would be driving books to kids' houses. Because I was in a very small vision because I didn't think that large until I met her that day. What were some of the challenges that you had to, to getting it going? Describe the bookmobile a little bit. The bookmobile from September 23rd until June 17th was the trunks of our cars. Lisa has an SUV. I have a four-door sedan. And the bookmobile was how many books can you fit into the back of a trunk and then put a table, that a folding table on top. How much can you put and carry? And then we pull up into one of the apartment buildings and we would take our tables out and unload I could carry about 300 books and Lisa could carry more. And then we would set up our tables and scream and yell and dance and do (laughs) everything that we could to um, entice people to come over and get these books. And it was a struggle. We didn't know what we were doing. We only knew that the kids had lunch on certain hours. And so we said every Wednesday at their lunchtime, that's when we're going to go out to the apartment buildings because we thought you can't move a table around very easy. So we would just plop ourselves down for two hours and give out books and do everything and anything we could. And a problem was we just didn't have the mobility, but getting the word out because it was the oddest thing to try to give away free books because people... They didn't believe us. 
and it was very hard to give away free books and communicate to the community that that's what we were doing. Then we started to get smart and we would go the day before and we'd hang up like 200 flyers on all the doors of the apartment buildings. We would put them in the mailboxes. We got in trouble one place. They said not to do that anymore. um, (laughs) Lisa made banners. So we'd put banners on our cars and park it along route one, which is Jefferson Davis highway. And we just did about everything. But the logistics was the hard part, trying to figure out where could we get the biggest bang for the buck and how do you transport all these books and how do you transport books from the little tykes all the way to the adults because we needed the adults to read to set the example for the kids. And so that was a big struggle is the limitations of what we could carry. There was no limitations in our energy whatsoever. And I have to say though, we started by making maps and we called transportation and we got the names of all these complexes because we have no idea where we're going at this point. And then I also learned that I had to ask permission from some of the apartment complexes to even be on their property, even though we were doing something very altruistic. So I learned things that way. But when that stranger, whoever that stranger was that took our picture and put it on social media, then our local news found out about us. And then that helped get the word out or made us even more legitimate. One day, Kristen gave out like eight books and I gave out 30. And then it grew because now when we do a bookmobile, we usually give away anywhere from 300 to 400 books within our time frame. And Mm -hmm. it's an amazing thing to see because now we have even like my husband will come, her husband will come. We have extra help now coming because it's all hands on deck when we're doing a big event. And it's amazing now how we started out so small, unknown. But Kristen's right, though. The last bookmobile I did on Thursday, the kids still did not believe me when I said the books were free, even though our bookmobile in very large letters says free books. <laughs> Do they think there's strings attached in some way? I'm trying to figure out like why they don't believe that they're free. Do you have yeah. any idea? They all tell me like you can't do that. And I'm like, but I can because they don't understand where we're getting them from. Mm. And a lot of them are also still brand new. So how are you getting these brand new books? And why are you giving them all away for free? Like and they just don't understand that. And we stand out. Um, we're going into communities where they're not used to um, people coming in and not judging them, but trying to help them without any strings or any questions or anything and just there to help. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that the people who have the greatest need are the most reluctant to take the most books and that they feel like if they take more than their fair share, then someone else doesn't have it. And that was a little humbling to me to convince some of these kids who didn't have much that they could have as many as they wanted and their reluctance to deprive somebody else. And that was, um, that was a little humbling, I think. So I, I want to make sure I'm understanding. So in Louisville, where, where we are, when COVID happened and school shut down, we closed March of 2020 and then mm-hmm. kids didn't go back in the building until March of 2021. So when you all say that you were going like during the lunchtime, is that what you were doing is when kids were 
having virtual classes or Correct. maybe they weren't yeah. able to, you would go during these breaks where they weren't supposed to log in. Is that accurate? Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah. It was okay. like virtual lunchtime. So we were able okay. to do elementary, middle and high school lunches. So like from 11 to one would be their lunchtime. And so we would be out there doing our singing and dancing. Like I needed a megaphone because like I'd go home with no voice. So it was a lot of fun, but we get it now. Like we've learned so much from this experience. So you mentioned going just this last week or or the other day. So the kids are back in school. So what does that kind of look like now? We're going after school. So when they get off the buses, Kristen and I have different schedules. So I'm able to leave to meet the middle school bus because they get out first and then elementary and the last bus is the high school bus. So that's usually between two and four o'clock now. So we'll go out for like an hour and a half to two hours after school. I give books out at the home games and have a very active uh, free library within the school, within the library that I'm working in and in certain spots throughout the building. So it's still active inside and outside of the school, but sometimes more inside the school than it is outside. I know you said you were doing it out of the back of your cars. Are you still doing it out of the back of your cars? The county school system bought a used van from the county cargo, and they gave it to us to haul the books, and they wrapped it in a really nice wrapping that we helped design. So we don't have to use our vehicles anymore to transport books. So we have a really cool van that holds the books. That's awesome. And they gave it to us the last day of school of this past year. So what we did was in order to prove that this was something that was of need, we literally um, had data of books, miles Mm -hmm. driven on our personal vehicles, but we really tugged on their heartstrings when we took pictures of the students and they wrote a statement about why it was so important to get a book in their hand. And after you read those little pieces of information, there was not a dry eye in the house. So mm-hmm. we pretty much, you know, made everybody cry to understand that this was really, really important. And that's how we got our van. We met with the superintendent and went in there with the data and we gave him books, of course. And um, we wore our little matching shirts, bookmobile shirts. And we went in there and we're like, dude, you need to give us a van. Um <laughs> And we got a van shortly thereafter, so that was very helpful. But that took a lot of courage to go and talk to that superintendent. But I bet it did. But you all sound like you're very passionate about what you're doing. There's nothing better. So you have the van. During the course of all this, where were you getting the books from? So we have retired teachers that happen to like both of us. Um, So we call her our book angel because this woman spends a great deal of her retirement on us. So she spends a few hundred dollars every week to buy us brand new books, whatever we ask for. Like if I tell her we need Diary of the Wimpy Kid books, she can even go and buy those used at our used bookstores. But then she finds the latest and greatest new titles that are coming out that are very up and coming, edgy for the high school kids and then the appropriate books for my middle school kids. Kristen and I have done Donors Choose and we've asked for specific books. And because of COVID, our family and community engagement group at the county level 
had a lot of books that they usually would give out to other schools and they couldn't do that. So we became the recipient of many, many amazing books that were bilingual, board books, the baby books. Um, and then they also gave us some middle school Spanish books. So that was fabulous for our population as well. So that was a big, big gift as well to us, getting a lot of new books from outside sources. And then I do know Kristen and I had a meeting with school board members for our area. And they also gifted us with a monetary donation. And Kristen and I then were able to purchase books that we knew would fill in the gaps from what we were getting from Goodwill and then also from what our uh, book angel would give us. And because of COVID, people couldn't do their normal Christmas activities. And so the Duke alumni that live in Richmond adopted the bookmobile as their charity for the Christmas season. And they donated over 4,000 books. Oh my um, goodness. To us. And there was a couple of families that did the same since they had to change their Christmas traditions. And so we have a lot of people donating books. And I think Lisa and I still have people who call up and say, I'm going to bring you some books. And we find books on our, on our front steps at the school. So they, they keep coming, which is great. I had a donation on Sunday. A woman came and gave me two boxes. And next week I have a sorority also Mm -hmm. that did a book drive and they're coming to my school on Tuesday. So, so what I really want to know is like, what are your all's basements look like? Do y'all have books like stacked <laughs> to the ceiling in your basements? Is that, I mean, like really, where do you store? Do you, do you have a place to store these? At work. Yes. I, t- I took over our, our library workroom. When the children weren't there, it was awesome because I had books all over the library. But now that the students are back, I have, I'm back in my little spot. But Lisa and I know um, how to pack books really well, mm. and we have boxes and bags, and we always have books in our cars because we're always changing, exchanging books. Well, what <laughs> I want to know is, is anybody donating free massage services to you for lifting all those boxes right? of books? Because that's heavy stuff. It is very heavy. It is extremely exhausting. But, but you know, we're always happy. There, I don't think we've ever been disillusioned although I have to say Kristen is a lot you know she gets cold so Kristen wears lots of layers um, (laughs) because we also kept records of our temperature so we've been out at 32 degrees 33 (laughs) degrees and someone gave us hot cocoa one day which we thought was very sweet and then during the sweltering heat which is what Lisa does not like some of the the parents came out and gave us water which I really appreciated people who work in schools are just always given so much to do and nothing ever seems to get taken off their plate. So are the two of you all like everything that you're doing with the bookmobile and now that's happening after school, has a load been taken off to try to, I guess, balance out what you're doing as the founders of of the bookmobile or are you still doing your regular job? And so you truly do deserve one of the many awards that teachers deserve. We're both still doing everything that we were doing before. And we were doing that during COVID too. I mean, we were still both doing our real job that we get paid for. And then this job that we kind of created for ourselves. And there are days where it's hard to get from the library teaching a class to the bookmobile. But giving a book to a child, 
I'll go through anything to give a kid a book because that erases all the pain of the struggles of that day in the library because it is magic. Seeing that kid saying, I get to keep this book for me, for real? Thank you so much. I didn't know people loved us like this. Mm. And it is stressful and it's tense with everything that's going on. But that is the only thing that some days gets me through is when a kid comes to the library and says, hey, thrower, I'm looking for <laughs> such and such. I'm like, come on, man. Let me come. Let me show you some books I got over here. Come on. Come on. <laughs> and, um, like Lisa, you know, she she's going into the classrooms constantly and having to figure out time to even repack the van. Yeah, because I'm the early morning. I have an earlier start. So I'm at work at six so I can sort my books and get them on a cart so that when I do get to the van, I have everything packed and ready to go. And then I'm working with all of my students and my teachers all day long. And then I can't wait because at 1.30 is when I get to leave before school's out to go get the van and then get set up. And so it's been fun because the sixth graders have never met me. So for them to now see me in the bookmobile and their neighborhood, they're very excited. So now that I see them in the building, especially today, they're like, oh, the book lady's in the hallway. <laughs> and then they're not afraid to come up and ask me for a book now. So that's been a really good thing because they're seeing me outside of school. I don't have to have my mask on because we're outside. And that has been an amazing experience because now I get to meet my new people because our seventh and eighth graders know both uh, Miss Thrower and myself. So those kids are already like, okay, we know you too. We know we can trust you. You're going to give us a good book. So are there any plans to soup up your van at all? I mean, are you still having to put the books on tables or do kids come up into the van? Because this is still one of our brainchilds. So you have to think about how like a cargo van in the back, the two doors would open. Our next idea, and we don't know how this is going to come to fruition yet, but we want to have either a big heavy piece of wood or a big slab of metal that it slides out and two legs will drop down. Mm. And then Kristen and I can be in the van and we can just put the boxes and slide them out. So it'll save us a big step because then we don't have to lift. It'll just be slide. And then we can slide that table back in. So I would like to figure out how we're going to do this. There's many renditions in my head, but how we're actually going to create this and who's going to do it for us. We haven't gotten to that step yet. Because the cargo van is like a just a regular van. So if you're under the age of six, you can stand. We can't stand. So we're still right now doing the tables until we get the magical table that Slides out, so. <laughs> the magic table. I like that. Yes, the I like magic that. Table. Well, the two of you are referred to as the book ladies of the Creek, which harkens to the 2019 novel, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek by Kim Michelle Richardson. She's a fellow K Kentuckian. So how did that book inspire you both? For me, I, I actually chose that book for my own book club book. And I also had seen Mysteries at the Museum about the blue people of Kentucky. So I was totally enthralled at the fact that this was about a woman that was going to be experiencing prejudice because of the blue piece, but also the fact that she was a strong enough woman to get on a mule and start giving out books, regardless of what people thought about her. 
So I just, to me, she was a trailblazer and I just admired her courage as a character. And so I wanted to emulate that. And I was lucky enough, Kim Michelle Richardson had called me <gasps> and we had spoken for over an hour one night and I was just a gushing, you know, person thinking, oh my God, like my idol has now called me at my house. But it was amazing. And I also told her, I said, well, you know, I didn't want to do copyright infringement. So I borrowed and I said, of saying book woman, I said, I did book lady. And she thought it was quite funny. So I felt a lot better about that. <laughs> but um, that for me was the biggest thing is to have someone to be that bold and brave and go out into the unknown and give out books. And I felt like that's what I was doing at my middle school, because again, no one was going around giving out books to kids, even during the regular school year, because this is still the beginning before the pandemic when I monikered myself as the book lady of the creek. That's a great story. So what besides books do you hope the bookmobile provides to the families in your community? I think for me and I think for Lisa, when the schools shut down and we had students who were left out of the Wi-Fi situation and being able to attend school, they were forgotten. And I think when Lisa and I would show up in these neighborhoods that are tend to be forgotten or overlooked, the fact that we take the time to bring them this stuff and we're so happy to see them, I think their knowledge of being seen and not being ignored, but being a participant in society, participant in our schools, and that their teachers love them so much that they're willing to come out to their neighborhoods and give them books. That was huge for the community, for both of our schools, like Lisa says, the feeder schools, is that we saw them and we wanted to let them know that we never forgot about them the whole time and that they were our number one concern, getting to them and meeting them in what Lisa calls the book deserts of Chesterfield County. And parent after parent after parent told us how important it was to them that the schools or that Lisa and I were thinking of them. And it just really made them proud of our school and of where they live. And I think that was important for me. It was. And I, we've had so many people that either hugged us mm-hmm. or cried. And here we are just smiling. You know, Kristen and I are just so happy to do what we get to do. And these people were so grateful. Yeah. Like I said, like we had hot chocolate and water and these people don't have a lot. And yet there they are giving us what they had. It does. It, like Kristen said, it is very humbling. We actually have met the most amazing people because we've been out in this community. So yeah. I think we're really blessed in this whole situation, even though we know we're doing something great for the kids to give them opportunities to be successful and, and have access to books. But I have to say, we really are the lucky ones to experience these families and these kids. What advice would you give to other teachers or just people in the community who might want to start a similar program for their town? Do you have any tips? You know me, just do it. Start small. Like if we only started by going with one table and then it became two tables and then we had three tables. Start small. Whatever that is, whether it's a free book uh, library on your lawn, like by your house, or whether you put it up by the school, start small. 
Yes, and, and I would say don't judge people. That has been a huge learning thing for me is I thought I knew what a reader looked like and I was incorrect every time. And some people that I thought would have walked by and would have never looked at the table ended up taking 10 books because there was never a limit on the books, the number of the books the kids could take. And to be accepting and just say, you know, to know that the book can um, bridge all kinds of gaps. But if you see someone walking to you, they might be someone who loves to read. And you can't really, you can't judge a person like you can't judge a book, which we all do, but you really just have to free your mind that people like to read and they may not look like you, but people love to read. I think that's a, that's a good sentiment to end on. While we have enjoyed talking to y'all about your bookmobile program, it makes me feel a little uh, warm and fuzzy uh, talking to you today about that. We are going to take a short break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Lisa and Kristen and Carrie. Carrie, what are you reading? <laughs> so I have been on a bit of a Victor Laval dive. I, I think one of our past guests must have mentioned him. I, it actually started with a short novella of his that I listened to on audiobook called The Ballad of Black Tom. And I enjoyed that. And then I started searching and saw that Victor Laval is the author of The Changeling. Well, what I noticed in those two books, The Ballad of Black Tom and The Changeling, is that both of the protagonists were either booksellers or they were book smugglers. And so I was intrigued by that. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So I liked The Ballad of Black Tom. That was, again, it was short. It was an audio book. And it told the story of Tom, Tommy Tester, and how he got involved with this mystery society and the police were involved. It, it was pretty complicated. And at the end, you kind of discover who the monsters are. So it was kind of eerie. But what I want to talk about is The Changeling, because that is a book that, you know, people have been talking about it. So this one is the story of a bookseller named Apollo Cagua. And his father sort of disappeared when he was a young boy. And so his whole life, he has struggled with the fact that that he never had a father. Well, he grows up and he meets a woman and they marry and they have a baby. And actually she has the baby on a subway train. And after, you know, as with any couple who has a baby, it's a big adjustment and you're sleep deprived, but he's, he's a very good father. When he goes to different places and checks out stacks of books to see if there's any treasures in the book pile, he takes his baby and his wife she just starts acting weird. And so you're reading it, you know, you're thinking, is she having like some kind of postpartum psychosis? Like what's going on with her? She keeps saying that she's getting these pictures of the baby and they're not pictures that Apollo has taken. And then the pictures disappear from her phone. So every time she tries to show Apollo these pictures that somebody has sent her of their baby, the pictures disappear. 
So Apollo is like, what is she talking about? You know, is she sleep deprived? What's going on with her? You get to this point in the story where Apollo wakes up and he's been chained to a chair and he's got this lock around his neck and his wife, she's turned up the heat in the apartment and it's this very eerie, odd thing that's going on. And he's like, what are you doing? Where's the baby? Where's the baby? And she says, it's not a baby. And so that's where I'm going to leave it at because I can't tell you any more than that or I'll spoil the whole story. But it was such a mind bendy, like fantasy, a little bit like horror, like you're reading it going, oh my gosh. So it kind of blended all these cool genres together. And I really, really liked it. I gave it four stars. I think I'm a fan of Victor Laval. So that's what I have been reading. I'd always heard of him as like a horror writer, but would you say it's like more like suspense or would you say it really is horror? Well, in both the books, I mean, they definitely have elements of horror. There's that suspense. There's a little bit of gore in both, but not overwhelming. And then again, like like the changeling is like fantasy too. There's just a lot of questions there, but I didn't get freaked out. If you're a chicken and I'm a total chicken, then I don't think you'd have a problem reading his his books. Recommend Victor Laval. Cool. So, All right, Lisa, what have you been reading? Okay, so um, I'm reading The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, Mm -hmm. and it was written um, by Alka Joshi. It's the second in a series. The first one was called The Henna Artist. So it takes place in India, and Lakshmi is our henna artist. And at this point now, she has left Jaipur because she was shamed. There was a whole scandal. And so she goes with Dr. Jay Kumar to uh, Shimla, where he's going to start a clinic. And Malik was her protege. And so because she was able to leave Jaipur with some money, she was able to send him to private school. So it's he's 20 now. All this time has passed. And she wants to send him back to Jaipur as almost like a student teacher, but now he's going to be learning how to become an engineer. But the day he gets there, their very royal palace theater, very expensive theater collapses. And so the rest of the story is trying to unearth the truth about who did this, who was buying faulty materials. There's things about drugs being smuggled and how the poor people are trying to stay together. And then the rich people are involved. And then Lakshmi is always involved with trying to get the truth because she's a very formidable woman. And it was done so beautifully because I learned so much about the Indian culture and very happy that I'm not part of that culture. Mm. (laughs) This is the second book. Do they stand alone or do you need to read the first one to understand the second? No, it's definitely a standalone because what I appreciated was they gave you hints and clues about her former life. So even if you never read the first one, you knew that she was a henna artist. You knew she had a history in Jaipur because she still had friends. So when she does go back to visit, it reconnects dots. So even though I read that first book a year ago, if I didn't remember anything, it came back. Very intriguing. Cool. Yeah. Very intriguing. <laughs> All right, Kristen, what have you been reading? I am reading a young adult book called Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany D. Jackson. 
I've heard of this one. Oh my God. I absolutely love the writing. I mean, it's a great story. Claudia's friend Monday is missing and it has destroyed Claudia's life. She seems to have a hard time existing without Monday. So it's her struggle of trying to get through eighth grade and growing up and all of that without her best friend. And no adult seems to really care that Monday is missing. But what I love about this book, and I haven't felt this way about a book in a long time, is the language. I'm listening to it on tape in the car, and I can't wait till the book comes back to the library because there are pages where I just want to take some quotes Mm. from her books. It's just so descriptive and her wordplay and it's just it's beautiful writing it's absolutely beautiful writing so I want to know what happens to Monday but I'm really enjoying the words that's always a big issue for me when I listen to an audiobook and the writing is so beautiful because I want to stop it and go back and look for it later like if I had a hard copy of the book because sometimes you just want to be able to read those beautiful sentences over and over again yes yes and it's she hard is- to do that It is. It is. And it's the first time I've read any of her books and I will be checking her out again because it's just, it's a beautifully written book. I am addicted to it at the moment. Very good. (laughs) All right. Well, Amy, I don't know what you've been reading. (laughs) I should know. (laughs) So I just finished today a book called Cackle by Rachel Harrison. It's a new release. It came out right before Halloween. And so this is the story of Annie, who is a high school English teacher who just turned 30, and her boyfriend of eight years has broken up with her, and she's moving out of their apartment that they have shared. And so she decides to move to a small town in upstate New York to take a teaching job. And the town is called Rowan, and it is such a quaint place. Everyone is friendly, and it's just the kind of small town that everyone likes to visit. But because of the breakup, Annie is really depressed and she's down on herself and she doesn't really have girlfriends because of all the years that she spent with her ex-boyfriend, Sam. She kind of only did things with him and didn't really nurture those female friendships. So when she comes to Rowan, she doesn't want to miss an opportunity to make a friend. So in her first week in her new town, she meets Sophie and Sophie is beautiful and sophisticated and seems to be good at everything. And Sophie takes a liking to Annie, and they begin spending all of their time with one another. But there are some strange things about Sophie, and we soon realize that she is a witch. And I'm not giving away a spoiler here because the blurb on the book, you know, says that she's a witch. But even though Sophie is a witch and the townspeople seem to be wary of her, she's also so sweet and nurturing to Annie and Annie is desperate to have a friend. And so this begins the story of Annie and Sophie's friendship over the course of about six months. And while this book is about a witch, its main theme to me is about friendship and what defines a good friendship and can Annie trust Sophie? And then there's a theme of having agency as a woman. So Annie learns to love herself. She starts out feeling like she needs a man or she needs a partner at 30 or otherwise her self-worth is down the tubes. But She grows as a person throughout the book and decides that that's maybe not the case. And how does she grow and feel confidence in herself? And then there's also a thematic thread in there about stereotypes and how they're passed down from generation to generation and how hard they are to eradicate. 
So this book is dark at times. I wouldn't really call it scary, but there are moments where you definitely get Halloween vibes. But it's also cozy and humorous. Annie has a great sense of humor. And and in fact, Sophie even gives her a cute little pet spider named Ralph who wears a little hat. And I love an animal sidekick. So that little touch (laughs) totally won me over. I listened to this on audio and it kept me entertained. And I found myself taking longer walks than I needed to just so I could listen. It isn't necessarily life-changing, but for me, it was a fun, enjoyable, seasonal read. And who can turn down a spider in a hat? I know, named Ralph, who's cute. Has a cute little face. At least that's the way it was described. Sold. (laughs) All right. Well, all of these sound really good. I hope they've been added to people's TBR list. We are going to take another quick break. And when we come back, Lisa and Kristen are going to answer, how do I phrase this? Three about me, but not really. I don't know. What should we call it this time? (laughs) An unusual version of three about me. How's that? Okay. We are back with Lisa and Kristen, and we're going to ask them some questions. We usually call this three about me. We're going to say three about them. I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to start with Lisa. Lisa, you like to cook and you like to can. I have memories of summers at my grandmother's house and my grandmother and my mother and my aunt all in her cellar canning. But I have never learned how to can. And in fact, I'm a little scared of it. So you teach people how to can. So tell us how you learned to do this. And have you had any canning mishaps? Oh, so the first time I ever started to can, I guess, was with my grandmother. So I got to mix certain things because she always used to can pickled eggplant, which is very strange, but that was one of the things that they made, as well as lots of peppers and pepper relishes. As a young adult, uh, my husband and I got married. Uh, We moved to Long Island where all the farms were located. And I read the book to uh, my son, Blueberries for Sal. And from there, we had to go learn how to can blueberries. I knew how to can tomatoes and make tomato sauce. So canning fruit was a new one for me. Long Island has Cornell Cooperative Extension where they taught classes. So I went to classes to learn. And then my son and I went to the blueberry farms of Long Island and we made blueberry jam and we uh, canned blueberries because we were getting ready for winter. And later on, I was in a mother's group and they all wanted to learn. We have strawberry farms. So canning strawberries, making strawberry jam, blueberry jam. Now, fast forward 20 years later, I'm in Virginia have lots of farms around here as well. The past two years, um, I've learned to can and pickle every vegetable that could be grown <laughs> oh in gosh. a garden, I found out. I have pickled not just beets, but beet stems and beet leaves and turnips. I've done carrots, um, eggplant again, but a little different. Making tomato sauce is easy and canning that, but that would be the only one I can tell you where there was definitely a mishap. Um, if one puts too much in and doesn't really follow that head space where you need to leave some space in the jar, I was boiling my jars and they were fine. Or so I thought, and when I was cooling them, they started to explode I put too much in them. So we had a little bit of a mishap with tomato sauce, oh, but that no. was only once you learn your lesson. I guess you, you do. 
I suppose if it's everywhere, you learn not to make that mistake again. Yeah. So Chesterfield County Library, when they were going to be doing in-person classes, they found out about all the things I was counting as well. So I'm actually, when we go back to in-person classes at our library, I'll be teaching canning. So hopefully by 2022, I'll be able to go back and teach canning classes. I love to cook as well, but canning is just one of those things I've never delved into, but I probably should. I just have been always been a little nervous about it. You know, I have these visions of it blowing my head off or something. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I only do the water bath canning. My daughter-in-law has the pressure cooker. Hmm. But now with the Instapot, you can use the Instapot as your canner as well. And that's a lot safer. So when you want to do anything that has a low acidity, like beef stew and soups, or even yogurt, because she makes her own yogurt, you can use it in your Instapot and use it as a pressure cooker. So that's very safe. I have an Instapot sold. Okay. There you go. (laughs) I can see Amy taking a road trip to Richmond whenever you teach these classes. She'll, (laughs) She'll show up. (laughs) that'd be great all right Kristen you had a previous career as a college history teacher which you still do and you've recently combined your love of history with your love of books tell us about this endeavor in March of this year my second book was published called the history lover's guide to Richmond And it combines my love for history, my love for research, my love for the city, and journal writing, and the value of books when you travel, because you can't always rely on your phone. So I was able to put all of those things in one book and had a wonderful time researching it, not necessarily the writing part. But the research and visiting all the sites was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you described it a travel book, but also a history book. It's both. Yes, it's like if you were going to come to Richmond and you wanted to get a tour book to see what Richmond had to offer, this could be one of your options, the way it's organized as a chronological history of Richmond. So the sites begin with the first sites along the James River where John Smith was and where Powhatan's son lived. And then the sites continue on as you go forward in time. So you would go from there and then you would go to where Thomas Jefferson stayed, to maybe where George Washington was, to St. John's Church. And then you would continue on through the Civil War and then through the war, World War II, and so forth. But you would be doing it through history. So it's a tour book organized through chronological history of Richmond. I'd like to have that for lots of different places I've been. Yeah, it's a new series put out by the History Press by Arcadia. I think they have one of New York. They have one of D.C., and I think they have a few others. So that's oh. just an interesting way to look at the area that you're going. Because when we travel, we like to stay in Airbnbs in neighborhoods. And it's nice to know why this neighborhood came about, who lived here, what was important about it. And it kind of helps you get your bearings of where you are. So that's kind of the purpose of the book. But there's a slew of them, I think. I'll have to look for so those Amy- next time. You'll have to get her book when you go there to learn the canning. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This last question is for both of you. So if you could 
only eat one food for the rest of your life, what food would it be and why would you choose it? Oh, well, for me, that's easy. It would be pizza. Me too, actually. I think mine would be pizza. Yeah, because you can always change your toppings. So you've got your basic ingredients and... I always laugh because whatever's in the refrigerator becomes what's going on the top of my pizza for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, even bad pizza is not that bad. I mean, there's really, really, really good pizza, but mm-hmm. even, you know, not that great pizza is not terrible. I think I could probably eat pizza every day. <laughs> what about you, Kristen? I, I, mine's similar. Um, sandwiches. I love sandwiches. And you can be as creative as you want with the sandwich or as boring as you want with the sandwich. And I just think a sandwiches rock. And I just love sandwiches. <laughs> Never heard anybody talk so passionately about a sandwich. Do you have a, a favorite one that you make or that you like to get when you're out? Um, no, I just like to try just different ones and different breads and different meats and different toppings and kind of like what Lisa does with what's in her um, refrigerator kind of goes on my sandwich. Hmm. So that's why we're great partners in the bookmobile. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, what's yours? You didn't say. I, I don't know. Is it cake? You do love you some cake. I do love some cake, but I would have to say, I mean, I know this would not be good for my stomach, but I really love ice cream. Like, I really love ice cream. I can eat ice cream even when it's, like, freezing outside. So (laughs) I think even though I know it is not as healthy or, you know, since I'm only going to eat it for the rest of my life, it's not as nutritious as pizza or sandwiches, but (laughs) I really love ice cream. So I think that's where I'd have to choose. But don't hold me to that, because if I had to sleep on it, I might change my mind by the morning. So, (laughs) all right. Well... Kristen and Lisa, thank you both so much for talking with us about the bookmobile. It sounds awesome. And we hope that other people get inspired by your all story and, and decide to launch bookmobile programs where they live. That would be fabulous. It would be awesome. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at the Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover pod to see what we're up to. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on your podcast player. We have a new updated website that has some great new features, including listener book recommendations and pictures of our guest pets. So come by and take a look. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Another great way to get the word out is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings we have, the more likely the show will pop up for listeners looking for a bookish podcast. And writing a review is great, too. If you leave a review, we'll read it on the air. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.